Voices of VR podcast. Hello, this is Ken Pai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast, a podcast that looks at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the future of spatial computing. You can support this project at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So today's episode, I'm continuing on my series of looking at the different immersive storytelling pieces that were featured at Tribeca Immersive. And so today I'm going to be diving into what was my personal favorite piece, Evolver. Imagine if you were to go inside of the human body and see the fluid dynamics of how the blood flows through the body and through the heart. And instead of being a normal scale, the person's 100 feet tall and you're walking around looking at all these different things. And it's a real spiritual transcendent piece that is looking at different layers of interconnection and interbeing as you look at the breath that's coming into the body and as that oxygen through the blood is flowing through the circulation and you know just to be able to visualize what does the blood flow look like through the heart and do it in a 3d spatialized way really really super compelling and one of my favorite pieces and we talk a lot about the process of producing this as well as the onboarding and offboarding and yeah just the the deeper philosophical principles of trying to get away from seeing us as separate beings and looking at more of the interconnectivity and how can vr as a medium start to express those aspects of this embodied interconnectivity and interbeing. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Barnaby happened on Friday, June 10th, 2022 at the Tribeca Immersive in New York City, New York. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. Hey, I'm Barnaby Steele. I'm one of the co-founders, directors of Marshmallow Laser Feast. And yeah, I guess we're well, the first thing, completely exhausted all my juice. I put all my juice into this project. I'm completely spent, and it's been a kind of four-year journey. And I, I suppose, in a way, this piece embodies a lot of the philosophy and the reason we're working with VR in the first place, in that it creates possibilities of experiences that you can't have contained within your skin. You know, it's, obviously, it's a simulation in your body, but you can give somebody an out-of-body experience to explore the inner architecture of their inner branching being the ecosystem of the human body so it's endlessly fascinating and i mean we can go into it yeah let's yeah well maybe before we dive into the experience you can give me a bit more context as to your background and your journey into immersive storytelling so um you know what there's been sort of a shift in our approach to work i think there's obviously like the situation that we're in in terms of our relationship to nature and the sort of dominant narratives that shape people's relationships like the kind of myth of separation the sense of you as an individual in competition to other individuals and that when life is framed that way then the actions that you take don't necessarily or acting in self-interest is not necessarily acting in the interests of nature so we're really interested in what is the experience of interbeing like experience of connection scientific narratives for us at the heart of that because they reveal these relationships that are unavailable to our senses. For example, following breath, which is one of the key themes that runs through our work. If you follow that thread, the atmosphere is a co-creation of all breathing beings. We make it together and we rely on it for life. And it's also a narrative that takes us back to this ancient relationship of photosynthesis to respiration. And so it's a great way to smear the boundary of where you end and begin and just reveal the beautiful interconnected richness of existence that we live only in relationship to the pollinators, the plants, the trees, the rivers, the whole caboodle, you know, the Big Bang expanding, we're part of this process. And so what is the experience of that? 
you know, that's really an interesting area to discover. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're doing, working with scientists, exploring these different ideas and then making them available as virtual reality experiences so you can step into dimensions of reality that you might understand conceptually or you, know, you might hold ideas in your mind about what's inside your body as maybe it's a diagram but that's very different to be able to step inside it and explore it in the same way you would explore a forest ecosystem and allow your curiosity to guide you and that's kind of what we're up to. <laughs> Yeah, as you're speaking, I'm reminded of Alfred North Whitehead's process philosophy, which is a lot about moving away from substance metaphysics of treating things as these concrete objects that are seen as individualistic or individual properties on top of that versus the more process relational approach, which is seeing that how we're all interconnected at a deep level, but that you can use the building blocks of relationship and processes to describe all the nature of reality through these fractally nested or these muriologically nested so uh, holes within parts and so you have one organism but it's a part of a larger organism and a larger organism it's those biological organisms as a metaphor can go all the way down into like ecosystems of energy patterns of energy so i feel like that's a thread that your work that i've seen over the years comes back to again and again of just trying to see how we're interconnected and interrelated but through that breath how previous pieces of we live in the ocean of air is about the trees breathing out the oxygen and then this experience in some ways is a human being breathing in that so in some ways your body of work altogether is creating the full cycle of the breath exactly yeah and i think when we're sort of diving into the science a lot of the collaborations you realize that there's huge institutions like the Allen Institute for Cell Biology. Their whole focus is on the cells, so they're using a range of different techniques to 3D model and understand and break it into its components. And Whereas another institution is looking at the Fraunhofer Institution in Germany, they're looking at blood flow through the heart, so they're using fMRI scanners to create time-lapse sequences to then, from that black and white data, they can work out the speed and direction of blood flow through the heart. So different institutions have got their lens focused on different things and I guess that's the nature of observation that whatever lens you're looking through you have to choose what you're focusing on right so it sort of excludes everything else and focuses in I think it's interesting to be able to collaborate with all of these different partners and bring it back together like we're really interested in how these pieces combine and the underlying rivers basically that flow through life and that's kind of what we've been doing on on this project so in some ways you know, ocean of air, whether you're looking at a forest or the human body, those systems exist in relationship to each other. They're really similar and they're constantly in exchange. So seen a certain way, a tree is as much part of your body as your own lungs. And I think when these works start to combine as we build this sort of larger narrative, I really believe that it's, we sort of talk about when we're David Attenborough's age, you know, then can we imagine these sort of virtual worlds, these ecosystems where you can follow all of these different threads that flow through different organisms and, and cycle around? And that I think the sort of holistic vision of that, being able to like maybe experience photosynthesis in an electron microscanned leaf, where the leaf's the size of a cathedral, but that's just like one fragment of this larger collage. And in itself, it might be an exquisite kind of meet the creator moment, you know, the sort of the light that flows through the plant kingdom and weaves the entire food web by being woven into hydrocarbons. That's sort of like, yeah, we're, we're made out of sunlight, this beautiful flow of energy. But then that nested within a bigger picture where you can flow through a forest, through a human, experience how death becomes life, 
all of these boundaries just smear into this kind of existence tissue. David Hinton talks about, in his wonderful book, Existence, a Story, he talks about this idea of existence tissue. And actually it's in relationship to um, Chinese landscape painting. So as a spiritual practice, a blank canvas represents nothing and from nothing emerges something in the form of ink. And as that ink is applied, the artist paints himself in the third person as part of the landscape, as part of this tissue. And the way the clouds roll into mountains, roll into trees and roll into humans, the whole thing is sort of seen as this tissue of existence. It's just sort of rolling in and out of being. And that was like, yeah, that resonates. Like, yeah, that's what we're exploring. We're exploring the tissue of existence and how that is hard to define anything. And actually the process of definition and labeling is just a thing that we do in order to point at something and explain it, very much attached to language. And, and obviously science, as I was talking about earlier, is doing that as well through the nature of observation. And so piecing that bit back together is just a joy and super exciting. And I think it's the shift that we believe is at the, the source of behavioral change you know to think of a tree as as much part of you as your own body that's not an experience I've ever really had I don't actually feel like a tree is part of my body but I think that maybe these perspective shifts that you can explore within virtual reality can be a sort of poetry that opens that conversation at least maybe it can flavor certain ways that you might think about your relationships to nature outside so that would be our biggest hope if you can just like we were thinking about, you know, when you wear sunglasses, say you've got yellow glasses on, that tint can be um, powerful experiences, can offer that kind of perspective shift that travels with you, you know, after you take the headset off. And that would be the hope of the work, that it can be a kind of perspective shift to see that beauty and interconnection. Because it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Existence, the whole thing, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Sorry, I waffled on a bit there, mate. Well, as I first came across some of your work in Sundance 2016 with Through the Eyes of the Animal, and then eventually saw a Tribeca, there was a tree hugger, and then Sweet Dreams, and then We Live in an Ocean of Air, and then Dreams, and then now with Evolver, I don't know if there may have been some other stuff that I haven't seen or stuff that even became before that, but you said you've been working on this for four years, so it takes us back to around 2018. How do you think of your body of work of each of the different themes that you were exploring in each of those pieces and what led to this piece of Evolver? Yes, I think the first thing is that MLF is three creative directors, Ersin Han Ersin, Robin McNicholas and me, and we're old friends and we we direct our own projects, but there's loads of cross-pollination, so we're just better together and we love it and we've got a lovely little family and it's a real joy to work in such a creative, inspiring gang. And so within this sort of bubble, there's lots of cross-pollination, I guess, the projects I'm talking about are not really my projects, is what I'm saying. They're really the process of this large team and there's lots of different influences and projects can take a complete U-turn at a certain point because someone has a great idea about a different direction. So it's very much an organic, collaborative process. But what I'm bringing to the table, I suppose, is yeah, just being born in a city and recognising within myself that my sort of detachment from nature and then through having a child and having the opportunity to travel and have some really deep experiences that have changed my perspective. I feel like playing with virtual reality and sort of the nature of this medium is just a wonderful way to bring deep experiences of nature into like an urban setting. And I'm not saying it's like the same thing as experiencing nature. It's very different. It's an artistic expression of something, but also it's fascinating to think about 
if you were stood in front of a tree or you know looking at somebody else's body there's a, a limit to what you can see there so then being able to peer inside the body or look at working with scientists to understand different flows and movements and all of the myriad of different scanning technologies they offer a glimpse into these dimensions of reality that can be so beautiful it's like the beauty of observation often that data is the beauty is not so interesting to the scientists you know the data is maybe more important and it's just been my sort of privilege and experience that diving into these narratives just creates a sense of awe and wonder that I never had before like the more you understand the more you dive in the more cosmic and unbelievable the whole thing is and I think that process for me is what drives my artwork and in a way the final piece is an echo of this sort of baptism that me and the gang have been through like we come out very changed by the process and we're really lucky to be able to spend our time doing this and in a way the artwork is a kind of echo of that so it's quite selfish <laughs> in a way <laughs> i think it was in 2017 where i saw a tree hugger here and then he went on and then created we live in an ocean and air as a location-based experience at the sachi gallery in london that i had a chance to see and but what was the moment where you had the idea for this project and what was that turning point yeah so actually when we were doing we live in an ocean of air the conversation was always about the relationship to your inner branching lungs and cardiovascular system that relationship of breath we wanted to reveal the lung structures and the blood flow within the avatars of the bodies you know the people in the space so the idea that you can be with your friend in a virtual reality experience see each other but you're seeing their heart beating and you're seeing that blood flow pump round and when they're breathing you're seeing the flow in and the out breath when skin's transparent, race, gender, everything evaporates. Like it's a kind of a universal underlying. I guess it's just there's something about it that was really powerful. And the more we started to explore it, the more sense it made. And we also started to look at the medical data. I think the real turning point was browsing YouTube, like hunting. Spend a lot of time trying to find like what is the kind of Hubble Space Telescope for the human body. Like who are the people right at the forefront? And I came across the Fraunhofer Institute, Mavis, and they had loads of stuff on YouTube, and one of them is blood flow through a heart. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So as I was looking at it, my phone was on my um, leg, and there was some sunlight coming in through a window, bouncing off the phone onto the wall. And so the light on the wall was moving to my heartbeat. And it was just such a familiar rhythm and you almost block it out. But if you listen to it, you can feel it, you can hear it, this heartbeat rhythm. But what does it look like? It's not like the highest fidelity video, but the more I sort of meditated on it, no one's ever seen this stuff. It only had like 600 views. This is blood flow through a heart. Something so familiar and yet what shape does it make? Because the beating of it, you know, the shape of that is the fluid dynamics. And so it's not about the muscle contractions, it's about the movement of the fluid. And that's what this video showed. And so that was, I guess I was looking for something and that was the turning point. I emailed them and they were like, oh, we, we know you marshmallows, let's collaborate. And they had an art fund. So they supported the project and we've been working together for years now. It's a beautiful relationship. And yeah, I, I think that was a turning point of the project and where the real deeper conversation started from. So these doctors at the Fraunhofer Institute studying blood flow of the heart had already been familiar with your work? Yeah. Bonkers, right? I think maybe Eyes of the Animal or something, one of them had seen it. So, um, yeah, it was great because 
I email quite a lot of people and don't get many replies, especially sort of scientists. They're busy and they're often doing amazing, really valuable work in, in the medical, you know, just saving people's lives. You know, they're really focused on that. So maybe artists are a bit of a distraction, but she responded really quickly. And I was like, yes! Sometimes, as time goes on, there is a feeling that when a certain vision is flowing through you, like, I don't really believe that I'm coming up with an idea. I think ideas sort of flow through you and then people tend to congregate around these things and the synchronicity is it just seems to me quite unlikely although sometimes google has a hand in it like you know it knows what to show you at the right time all the algorithms and stuff so who knows if it's digital synchronicity but there was a lot of that on this project like just things aligning in a way that i could never have predicted i couldn't have sat down and mapped it and i think also the underlying vision of interbeing the experience of interbeing i mean this phrase comes from, I, I can't pronounce his name, Tiknan Chat, I, I think. Tiknan Han? Tiknan Han, that's it, yeah. <laughs> so um, I've been watching him on YouTube and he's full of beautiful wisdom and it just, I think a lot of the Buddhist philosophy resonates with me and at the essence of this, I was really just thinking about there's an experience of interbeing that is very different to a sort of intellectual understanding of it or the conceptual understanding that I think can be made available through this medium and through the sort of drawing out of scientific data to offer these experiences of connections so uh, yeah it just kind of all came together as an underlying sort of intention for the project yeah well i guess to expand on that moment that you had from the 2d version of seeing the blood flows as i see the fully formed version of evolver here at the tribeca film festival and to be able to see the three-dimensional version of that it was pretty mind-blowing to see that it was like oh my god that's how the flow of the heart i mean i could sort of sense that that's what was happening but it was almost like something from science fiction it was like so unlike anything else i had ever seen before and i really like how you phrase that the hubble telescope of looking inward at the human body it seems like this would have already been common knowledge of everybody knowing this already but also the thing you said earlier of how there's a lot of the different institutions that are working at different parts of the body and that in some ways this project is a big interdisciplinary collaboration amongst many different organizations to be able to come up with that full picture of the innards of the human body from a very fluid dynamics perspective because I was just thinking like mathematically the Navier-Stokes equation of like how liquids flow and how you're able to recreate that but also create an interactive fluid dynamics in a way that is also very difficult equations and just ways in which that it's not insignificant to be able to recreate a lot of it's probably a good reason why we haven't seen a lot of those types of immersive experiences that really have a lot of that fluid dynamics that are expressed in that way and i'm sure there's in a real-time environment a lot of simplification or artistic license to be able to actually make it work in a real-time environment but for the overall experience of recreating the human body as i read through the credits that's i guess another part of as i look in the wall here and look at all the different people you collaborated with or watch the credit sequence within the piece, it does seem like you were needing to pull in lots of different folks, from not only from the scientist's perspective, but also other co-producers. And it's a big project to be able to pull something like this off. So when you think about the story of how it came together, you found the blood flow analysts at the Fraunhofer. How did it congeal after that in terms of all these other people, like these puzzle pieces that were putting each segment together to be able to create the whole picture of the innards of the human body? Yeah, so Evolver is basically the latest in a series of projects that explore the human body so the inception of it started with the tides within us which is another piece that we did 
and explored that as a series of limited edition prints as well as video installations. And they're kind of stepping stones because working as an artist you have to take opportunities to develop concepts forward. So, you know, you're looking for funding and sometimes the funding might be a little bit less and you might do a, a series of studies where you're looking at some aspect of the data. But like over that four-year period, there was a point where Evolver landed on our plate and it came from René at Kaleidoscope. René was like, hey guys, you want to direct or be part of this amazing vision? And he had the most beautiful deck, been trying to get funding for quite a while, but it just hadn't quite clicked. And so Evolver as a project already existed and we offered the idea of saying, look, we're doing this human body stuff. We want to take one chapter of this project that was going to be five installations over multiple years, a sort of musical journey through someone's life. So we'll take the death sequence and we'll do death into life. And we talked about the human body stuff. And like as the project progressed, it shifted. There was a lot of people involved. We were super honored to have Terence Malick in from the start. You know, Rene had built an amazing team around it. And just, yeah, as the artwork started to just sort of find itself, it shifted and morphed and ended up being what it is now, which is a really kind of stripped back version from the starting point. Essentially, the concept is, if I was to 3D scan you, so I get your entire inner branching being, I scale you up to 100 foot tall, lie you on your back, and I go, right, I want you completely invisible, and I just want to see breath. Like, what is the journey of breath? You're 100 foot tall, so it's going to take like 15 minutes for a breath. What would that look like? And what would it be like to walk around with your mates as though you're walking around a forest and just explore, just see that journey of breath that's, you know, it's spiralling. Even when you breathe in, I think it's probably making a little vortex like when you pull the plug out in the bathtub so it's like oh yes it's like a a tornado forming as it's just you know as it just kisses the ground it's kind of like that spiraling in rolls down the throat as it goes through your mouth it's defining your teeth and your tongue and the inner shape it's like a sort of mold of your mouth and it rolls down your throat actually in the experience you can see teeth and tongue if you're really uh, careful that the airflow which is the only thing you can see as it vortexes down, it's rolling through the mouth. So if you look, you can see a tongue shape. <laughs> but then it's branching through the lungs. And so you have this, you know, it's like an oak tree on its side. You can walk down through the flow. And then as it diffuses into the blood, it's a little bit like a kind of leaf landing on a fast-moving stream. It just gets whipped round. And the blood out of your heart's moving at three feet a second. So it's a really high pressure. It takes about a minute to do a lap of your whole body and about three seconds to get to your fingertip. So it's a high, you know, we're under a surface, we're like a wild, <laughs> a wild river. It's seriously intense. It's kind of like, as I was studying it, I was like, ah, oh, that's why in Game of Thrones, when, you know, you get your throat cut and it splurts up so high, you realize that that main artery there is as thick as a wine bottle. It's incredible what's going on under the surface. So yeah, from the heart center, it's then going on a journey that eventually you know, reveals the whole body and diffuses through tissue into every cell. And in fact, another angle on it, I was on the plane and I fell asleep in an awkward angle. My arm was completely numb. And as it was coming back to life, sort of feeling the flow back in and thinking, oh yeah, my cells are almost dead. They're almost dead. I can't feel them at all. There's nothing going on there. And without oxygen, without that delivery of oxygen, it's game over and, it, and you need that constant flow. And so because it's infusing you to such a degree, the more I thought about that, this sort of portrait of breath through your body, it infuses every aspect of you. And so really that's what this piece is about, just exploring that. And when you get down to the cell at the end, the climax of the piece, 
it was almost like who's breathing who you know the way the moon pulls the tides up a river estuary you know it's that you know when I'm breathing in half the time I'm not even thinking about it but I'm breathing in to deliver that I'm a complex multicellular organism and so it just I mean it's I don't really have the answer it's just a really big complicated mystery and it's bonkers and yeah I think somewhere within that you recognize the full spectrum of everything you can sense is only a fragment of the complexity of your own body there's a myriad of different organisms and different sensory perspectives within you and so that obviously doesn't end at you you're like a cell within the body of the planet and so that's a kind of fascinating thing to recognize that everything you could ever experience is just a fragment it's a tiny little lens on who you are and i think that's a kind of yeah it's a bit bonkers in it <laughs> well yeah i think as you were sort of walking through those phases you're describing with words what i'm seeing visually but when i'm in the experience it's so difficult to always put language on what i'm seeing and so it does become this sense of awe and wonder because it's beyond anything else I've seen before, but it's also the most intimate aspect of being human is like this part of all these flows that are happening within our bodies. And I had a similar experience when I was watching both We Live in an Ocean of Air and Tree Hugger of watching how the water was going up the tree and the oxygen was coming out of the leaves. It's making things that are invisible visible and being able to see the interrelatedness of how the cycles or the boundaries between what we see as objects are not so firm. They're actually ways that if we really get down into it, there's very little of those boundaries. And I feel like that was a part of the main message that I got out of this as well, is that as you start to really analyze this and think about the boundary condition, it, it becomes difficult to define because it is much more like these ecosystems that are these holes in these parts that are within each other. So I feel like that was, again, going back into these metaphors of biological organisms, what Arthur Kostler described as holons that Ken Wilber has picked up and something that is holes and parts and philosophically that's myriology which is things that are individual entities within themselves but also a part of something larger than itself and so I feel like that's a theme that goes out through the course of your work and also as I hear you talk about this piece but the experience of that I, I can describe it philosophically but there's something that when I'm in the experience of it it turns into this poetry that feels like the spiritual transcendence that I watch it because it's putting a mathematical structure to the dimensions of human or the dimensions of reality that I have up to this point never seen expressed in that way. And it provides this metaphor. It's like a philosophical provocation that's trying to challenge your ideas of what the self is or what the individual is. The more yang expression is the concretized self or like metaphorically the yang is the sun and the sun is putting a shadow on individuals during the day and you can really identify what it's an individual. But at night with the moon, it's more of a reflection of the sun, but it's more non-differentiated. So it's more about the interrelatedness of all those things. And through more of a yin archetypal journey, it's seeing how you as an individual are connected to something of a cosmic larger whole. That's the takeaway that I get from a piece like this is that it is amplifying a lot of those deeper philosophical things. But the poetry is, it's hard to describe in words. It's almost like you have to go see it and experience it for yourself to leave it up to your own sensory perception to kind of make sense of it. But that's at least my process. And so that's part of the reason why it's my favorite experience because not only was it an amazing poetic experience, but it also is a lot of deep philosophical provocations that's really challenging a lot of the substance metaphysics ways of thinking about the separateness of ourselves and really emphasizing the interconnectedness. So anyway, that's uh, I wanted to elaborate on that a bit. You're so articulate, dude. That was 
That was grand. Oh, man. I mean, you express it in a ways that I, I could never... I haven't got that jibber-jabber. That was some quality jibber-jabber. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you captured it there. I mean, what can I say? I suppose um, there's this thing going on. You know, if I ask you, what does an apple taste like? You know, the richness of the sensation doesn't translate to language at all. And this is the beauty of virtual reality as a medium, that what you're describing is really hard to translate into words. And, and in some ways, the beauty found in the data, in the, the observation, like the source data, is so critical to the experience that you're describing because that's where the magic is. You know, if I try and imagine the blood flow through a heart, if I was to animate that with no reference point or maybe a bit of research, it just wouldn't have the same richness. It's so detailed, that fluid simulation that we've got, and just the subtleties that come from attention to detail in the observation carry that beauty and resonance, something that's familiar and alien at the same time. So, yeah, I think it was so well articulated. You got it, but I'm chuffed that you said that because that's what I'm hoping people take from it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like go through the experience and then like listen to us try to make sense of it because it it's like <laughs> it's yeah. like it's one of those. So I guess on that point, there's five people at a time, four to six people that are going through this at a time per hour. I don't know if you've increased that, but like, what's the plan to be able to get this out into the world with something that is such a powerful experience, but also from a throughput perspective can be very challenging in terms of giving people the full experience of that. Yeah, this is the big one. This is the one. So for us, we realize that there's a strange in-between moment in terms of hardware. Backpack PCs are obsolete. Wi-Fi 6 is doing something, but you can't get mass audience. But the promise of 5G, and I mean, I don't want to get too much in the tech, but I think mass audience VR is very close now. And not that virtual reality is the only thing that we're focused on, but I think this project, we plan to tour it for the next four, maybe five years, and that the next phase for us is to basically expand it into a really robust touring show. That's like the whole flight cases thing, the business model. We've got some really good backers and it's got momentum, so our plan is to tour it as a location-based experience. And then there's further plans beyond that, you know, discussions about how to bring it maybe to the home. and. Yeah, I think just more generally, we talk about David Attenborough as a teenager with a kind of black and white wind-up camera filming monkeys in a jungle going, oh, you know, I can't wait to show mum, this is great. Like, I can't wait to show people this thing. You know, we're like, it's early days, it's early days. We're going to be making this when we're old men. And so, you know, the mass audience thing will be solved. Eventually, the kind of concepts that we're playing with here will hopefully reach millions of people and hopefully like if it all works out for the sort of narratives we're exploring then you know it might be that kids you can take over the school gymnasium and, and the kids are able to see science not as separated into like physics and biology but as an interconnected ecosystem experience where all of these boxes and books and pages and chapters are the way that science is broken up and taught and all of the language is something that is taken from the source which is the experience of reality and the observation and I think that there's a beauty and a wisdom and a resonance in the observation of it that gets lost in the language and the words and so that's kind of the dream for where we're headed and we're going to be doing it for a long a long time I hope and so this is just a fragment of where we're headed I think yeah. 
So I saw it with four total people. So there was three other people. Well, there's one person that was sitting down and then three other people. So I saw the other people as these white balls of light as the head and then two smaller hands. And I, I found actually that the hand tracking was frustrating because my hands kept losing tracking. And so I had to like keep my hands up. Otherwise you would have the little blip of the white ball occlude my vision. And so then I would have to raise my hand to restore tracking and then put my hands down. So I found it difficult to watch it with my hands down by my waist because then my hands weren't being tracked and then it got confused. And so I almost would have preferred to have hand track controllers so that I could have more of a resting position without having to worry about the hand tracking part losing tracking. And so I can understand why hand tracking would be alluring for a mass audience to not have to worry about holding anything at all. But one thing I did notice is that there was another person that as I was going through it was moving and playing a little bit more erratically in a way. And so I felt like if I were to not be paying attention, get smacked in the face or something like that. So I'm wondering the decision to have lots of other people and what that meant for you to be able to have it as a shared experience rather than something that you're doing by yourself on top of the fact that it's one of the biggest shared VR spaces that I've been in, in the context of an art piece. I've been in other location-based experiences from Zero Point VR in Las Vegas, where it's a big, massive space, but first-person shooter. But this, in terms of an artistic story that we're all in, it's a massive space that you have here. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the scale, but also what you were thinking about in terms of what the other people are adding to the experience of this shared experience of Evolver. Yes, I think, although the experience is almost finished, like there's going to be an extra phase of development and the avatar is basically if you've got the Vicon tracking system or like an expensive piece of equipment like that I mean there's lots of different tracking systems you can use but then you know exactly where the hands are the shoulders the feet and so you can have a skeleton that's matched perfectly and makes people really visible obviously using the quest with the inside out head tracking when your hands are not visible they disappear and certain restrictions for this bringing it to Tribeca it's quite a stretch to make these things happen so I think the plan for the full touring show will be to have an external tracking system to solve that problem basically and then that gives people rock solid avatars and then clearly like what you pointed at which is clearly an issue at the moment is that when you're not certain where another person is you become nervous because you don't want to get hit in the face and so it needs to be really clear that there's a person over there you can reach out and you can touch their hand. And so once you've got the confidence that the tracking's rock solid, the experience is amazing. And like on Ocean of Air, we had the hand tracking working really well. It was a different system, but people held hands a lot. They went on the journey together. And you don't need that much in terms of visual cues to make that connection. So I think for the next iteration, which you'll get invited to <laughs> for sure, all of that stuff is going to be resolved and I think that the shared experience is really beautiful. You know, we've got the Vicon system back in London and when that tracking's rock solid, then you can go and get someone to bring them over to the view you've got and you grab their hand and you can see it really clearly and then you can be like, look at the heart from down here. So it's a different thing. So technological limitations, budget restrictions, and it's very tricky to bring these things to a festival. It's such a stretch for us financially to make this thing happen. So. That's my excuse. <laughs> I just saw The Infinite by Felix and Paul in collaboration with the Phi Gallery, where one of the things that they have is you go through cohorts with 14 people at a time, but up to like 168 people per hour. So it's a massive throughput in large space, but the International Space Station is shaped like an H, and so they can kind of like rotate the H to be able to 
direct people into different segments of areas to not have as many collisions. But one of the things they did was have me and my partner have the same color of an orb so that knew where she was at all times. They could always see her. And then other people would only show up as the blue orbs when I was close to them. And so it was a way to negotiate a shared experience within that. So I feel like that was a really helpful to have a shared experience. And if there's multiple people that are in it, because this feels like an experience where in order to get large enough throughput, you could add 10 people if you get all the tracking and all the different technology. I mean, I'm sure there's a hard limit at some point, technologically a hard limit, but also experientially a hard limit. At some point, it's not gonna be as enjoyable if there's too many people in the experience where it starts to feel crowded. So there's the trade-offs between needing to get enough throughput to be profitable versus not corrupting the experience in a way that takes away from the experience because it just feels like there's too many people in there. Yeah, Yeah, good old Felix and Paul, that's a great way of knowing who your friends are. Yeah, I think there's always these things to wrestle with to try and find the sort of optimal setup. If you think of this giant virtual human ecosystem it can be adapted to the space but the best expression of it is to have a hundred foot long vast sort of warehouse space where you can walk from head to toe in that way it's kind of like this one-to-one relationship like exploring a forest and and probably once a larger audience number puzzle is solved you know maybe it's a 5g thing that's coming then you can have like a lot of people in the space and i think that's where this project is headed but it's also really interesting to explore other lenses on the sort of essence of this experience. Like the beginning is a sort of sound meditation, a sort of sound bath. We had the great honor of having some music, Chaos Cave by John Hopkins, which is a beautiful piece from his Music for Psychedelic Therapy album. And so we got a new mix of that with voiceover by Kate Blanchett and poetry written by Daisy Lafarge. So we've been working with Daisy for a while as a way of pulling all of these interviews with scientists, all of this data, all of this research, through this beautiful human that can weave words in ways that's so beyond me. She came up with this line, where do you end and begin when sunlight is under your skin? I was like, dude, that's just magic. She's got the, she's got the magic. So um, I think what she can do with language is capture, she really understands the science, but she's able to capture texture with words that evokes the imagination in ways that is really interesting juxtaposed against the experience so starting in a pitch black room you know going through this kind of spatialized sound experience with poetry is a great way to vibrate you and unwind you and set an intention a sort of openness set a rhythm of breathing and that preparation is really important you come in from the busy city and that element to it I think creates the opportunity for spaciousness or It clears your mind and creates an openness for the next part, which is obviously quite a deep journey into the body. So I think as this piece expands, we're going to be exploring a number of different light installations, video installations, to build it out into a much bigger experience. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to hear that it was a binaural recording. Was it like hemispheric synchronization to try to create brain resonance of any type of frequency? I I know there's Holosync and then the Monroe Institute's Hemisync to create different levels of brain entrainment to facilitate different wavelengths and modes of being, I guess you could say. But was it a binaural recording that was trying to do that type of, or was it just a normal audio recording? Um, Well, I don't know the full richness of it, but for this Tribeca experience, it's just a stereo mix. And we work with this amazing composer, James Bully. So he's basically 
my right hand man on these projects not only in terms of all of the sound design and like spatialization of the music but also conceptually we develop a lot of the ideas together we've got a great ping pong with this piece there's been a bit of spatialization that's been done by james and a balancing for the space on headphones but headphones are absolutely not the best expression you know you want 32 channel speakers set up you know big subwoofers and to really explore the full power of the music and in that kind of context we haven't really gone into a deep dive with john yet but hopefully there'll be an opportunity to really break that music up into its fragments and think about it as a spatial experience you know movement through sound and there's another amazing collaborator Catherine Temple Lewis from Kinder Studios and so she's got a wild brain she knows a lot about everything it seems so we're talking to her about you know some of the healing qualities of sounds and different frequencies and tones and so she's been doing a lot of research into that space yeah so it's more than just music at that point there's certain frequencies that have a certain sort of vibration to them that can actually put you into a flow state and so it's kind of interesting to explore these things and see how that can be part of this transformative journey we're kind of thinking about these shows as almost like rituals or sort of like a baptism that you come in with a certain concept about who you are in relationship to the natural world around you you come out slightly changed kind of like vibrate you into a softer edges and that involves a lot more than just VR and it's collaborations with all sorts of amazing people I think that's the way we're headed to really expand these narratives and collaborate with lots of different artists yeah, yeah the whole onboarding and offboarding I think is a challenge to be able to set the context for people to come in and set the tone but then as they come out as well and I know that when I just saw The Infinite by Felix and Paul in collaboration with the Phi Gallery where there was a whole streamlining of the onboarding, but the offboarding was interesting in the sense that you're walking through a number of different immersive art pieces to help decompress. And so I know that here you also have a kind of retrospective of motion prints of scenes from different experiences you have in these giant LCD screens and a vertical orientation set up like an art gallery so that after you go through the experience and then coming out, walking through all these different pieces of art. So. Yeah, just thinking about the whole journey. You're creating these immersive journeys for people and transformative technologies in some ways of trying to give these provocations that are inspiring the sense of awe and wonder, but hopefully as people are leaving, coming up with a larger sense of themselves. I guess one quick follow-up, and you mentioned the Kate Blanchett. Maybe just talk about that. Work with her in terms of process. Uh, so, well, because we were already working with Ed Pressman and Terence Malick, which was just great because, you know, two wise gentlemen who um, we would share work in progress and have the occasional call. And I think there was just some really helpful steers. That, you know, like you've got an idea and you're moving in a certain direction, but sometimes that outside perspective from someone that's thought so much about cinema and the relationship of music and creating these epic, awe-inspiring scenes. I think Terence Malick and awe, you know, he's like an awe master. So... Uh, you know, some of that juice is definitely in this piece and I feel like really grateful for being able to have that relationship. And then, um, and then, yeah, we were like, we were think, talking about the poetry and he suggested Kate Blanchett. We were like, yeah, that would be amazing. And so we recorded her in London, but she was filming. So we didn't have a huge amount of time, but there was uh, the themes and actually the poetry in itself really resonated with her. So she's come on board as an exec producer and, and will be supporting the project into the future and, and hopefully like into future iterations of it as the ideas expand. 
But yeah, she's just very down to earth and it was a nice... Yeah, the whole thing's been quite mind-blowing because you know, we don't work with Hollywood people at all. It was really Rene that started this thing and then suddenly the knock-on effect of having these big names associated with the project has elevated it in ways that we might not have planned that. So it was just a really happy accident and yeah, I feel quite lucky just to have landed on our plate like that, yeah. Yeah, well, I know that Rene Pinnell started Kaleidoscope VR and then eventually did artist funding and then started a spinoff of Artisan. Now Kaleidoscope VR is actually kind of shut down in some ways. So I know there was an event that I went to that may have been a Kaleidoscope VR or Artisan. It was like at the Vulcan Center at Paul Allen Institute in Seattle that you presented at in 2020. Had Rene already come onto the project by that point? Yeah, so actually that was the point where, so Rene already had the project. We came on, we developed the treatment that is basically very close to what we're showing here. And so at Vulcan, that was our first sharing of the vision. And, and we actually got some funding there that helped us create a 360 video. So we actually, we did it all in um, V4, which is the software we used to do all this sort of fluid particle rinker tinkering. But we had a bit of seed funding there to do a first iteration. And we took that to Cannes as a 360 video. So from the real-time software, you can kind of export 360. And that was kind of like a proof of concept. And then from Cannes, we managed to get funding by Nicole Shanahan. And so she came on board and has been like super generous and a great supporter of the project. And she gave us the funds to make this piece, which is it's pretty much finished now. This is like the VR piece is finished. The next stage for us is planning the world tour. So yeah, kind of like stars aligning. It was because uh, after such a long time of holding a vision in your in your head, because it has been a, a quite a long time. I haven't quite digested it because it's been such a a long journey, and like I'm pretty knackered. Like last night was we reached the peak and it was finished literally just before the first audience came in. It's super dodgy to do that. It should have been done a week before. But we're like just tweaking all the settings and I think everyone was striving for perfection. You never get there. And it was like the clock, it's like the guests are coming in, you've got to stop. But it literally was like, that's it. And yeah, so it's kind of just, I, I haven't really experienced it properly yet, you know? <laughs> I need to go in and just be like, what's going on? It's a crazy process, actually, because you're, you're creating a, a virtual world with all these different parameters. It actually ends up in a Unity timeline, so all of these parameters from V4, actually VL is the version that we use, but all of these parameters get exposed in a Unity timeline, so once you've got everything there, it's like you can control the whole world, like particle size, colours. Oh, what if the velocity is affecting the colour just a little bit? That suddenly enhances a rhythm within the movement that you wouldn't have been sensitive to. So there's all these subtle details. They can only happen right at the end. So that's why in these last few weeks, you're kind of tweaking the look. In the entire lead up to that, you're basically building a piece of software. And so I, I don't have that much to do. I'm just like sitting on my hands waiting. That's always the end where you really get to kind of sculpt it. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Well, definitely the film festivals are a forcing function that sets a deadline for artists to be able to actually deliver things. And so I've definitely noticed that you're not alone in working on it to the 11th hour and then sometimes even changing it even throughout the course of the festival. So yeah, that's part of the reason why I enjoy so much covering the festivals because you really see the bleeding edge of bleeding edge of creation of whatever's being created in that moment. 
Yeah, well, it's a, an amazing experience. Congratulations on finishing it. I know when I saw you in 2020 in Seattle give the pitch for this as a project that you had already been working on it for a couple of years. And I think you even mentioned to me it takes so long just to make these things happen. So you're at the metaphoric finish line now. So congratulations on the piece. And uh, one other sort of logistical question to the production, because I know Atlas V, Atlas V has been working on it as well. And I, I don't know if you want to mention any of the other collaborators on the project as well. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, sorry I haven't um, mentioned the gang. So um, Antoine was our, our right-hand man, and he was sort of instrumental working alongside um, Sam Pressman. And so those guys were doing a lot of work in terms of fundraising and the kind of exec producer roles alongside like Nell and the whole gang, of the Marshmallow Laser Feast gang. So, uh, I mean, outside of that, there's Jennifer Garrison um, from the Buck Institute, and she was like a sort of lead science advisor. I mean, when you start going into uh, the human cell, it's like a minefield of terminology that you never heard before. It's quite an alien landscape. Also, like a lot of the work was built in Houdini. So like our workflow went through Houdini to kind of tidy things up. And this wonderful animator, Lewis Saunders, has just been crafting away. He's got all these anatomy books out. And like, wait, how does that bit connect to that bit? And just like trying to work it all out, looking at the shape of the heart. Because you have to get the flow right. We're like, wait, said the, wait, it's going the wrong way. The, the blood flow is yeah, you've got to connect that pipe down there. It's really like the plumbing. So even though like the source data is there, it all has to be sort of like tickled into shape. And yeah, like I said, Sam Pressman is such a character. He's just been epic on the project. And especially now now it's done, he's come into his own in terms of relationships. And I think hopefully the project's going to resonate and there'll be these opportunities to get the tour together. And we've got a great gang pushing it. So, yeah, fingers crossed and all of that. I think also just like big thanks to um, Nicole Shanahan, who's funded it, and the Allen Institute. We've got this amazing cell data and... Fraunhofer Institute for the blood flow data and just like everyone at the Marshmallow gang we're all like we're pruned like all of our juice has gone into it been working so many weekends especially in the last month or two so it's like just big love to everyone involved in it I probably missed some really important people my brain's frazzled I'm really sorry if I did but uh yeah it's been a big passion project for everyone and uh, we're really proud I think seeing uh, Louis Schwartzberg from Fantastic Fungi shed a tear today. That was the moment when I was like, yes. He came out and was speechless and had a little tear rolling down his cheek. And that was like, yeah, I made Louis cry. <laughs> that, was a, that was a real moment for me. Like, okay, it's working. Did you cry? No, well, I, uh, one of the things that happened in my experience was that the first five minutes didn't show the visuals and so I missed and I had to watch it again at the end so I missed something at the beginning and then I had to rewatch it and I was like oh okay so I was somewhat distracted feeling like I missed a part but I was able to see it but I had to like Pulp Fiction take one part and put it at the beginning and like project out but aside from that I really was moved by the piece overall and was really in a state of awe really like one of the producers told me afterwards was that she said, oh yeah, I, I, that's my body in there. I was in a fMRI for 16 hours actually measuring. So the degree to which that you're actually measuring and capturing new information to be able to put into this. So yeah, just the whole scope and scale of all is just really amazing. Yeah, Emma Hamilton. I don't, can't believe I didn't mention her. So she's been, we've done this as a total tag team. And yeah, so she went to the Fraunhofer Institute and spent 
yeah, whatever, 16 hours in an fMRI scanner, and you've got to be really still left to do it again. Uh, if you move a little bit, the data get messy, so it's kind of like a long exposure photo. But yeah, full. Uh, <laughs> it's quite like she did the scan, and then it's, now it's quite weird that everyone's walking around her body. In fact, when you come out of the head, even though the shape of the head is defined by blood vessels, you can kind of recognise her face. You can say, "It's Emma." Yeah, it's just like very bizarre. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well. Finally, what do you think is the ultimate potential of virtual reality and immersive storytelling, and what it might be able to enable? Say, so I'm the ultimate. I suppose the um, in a time where we need to, I guess, like just we need a new story. I've been talking earlier about this story of interbeing, and I think that there's a potential for transformative experiences that can take you beyond the limits of your perception and reveal connections and relationships and so I honestly think that there's kind of like scientific hallucinations that there's something in this that can create experiences that then will shape the way you think about yourself in relationship to nature and that's I think it's really the possibilities for transformative perspective shifts I think are really powerful and that we're just at the beginning of that and yeah it's just kind of lucky to be able to explore these themes and uh yeah i think that's where it's headed for our little niche our little niche in vr yeah is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community uh, yeah i guess i'm not even sure i'm pretty i'm i'm pooped i'm totally pooped i'm out of juice kent <laughs> i'm completely spent I'm actually going to a remote island in Italy on Monday. I'm going to have like a big, I need to massage my wife's feet and say sorry for all the long hours I've been doing, spend some time with the family. And um, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of time off now. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know, take a holiday. That, that's that's the, the thing, like when you're working really hard, you have to book the holiday in advance so that you know that it's coming and then pamper the wife. So that's my plan now. Awesome. Well, congratulations again on finishing this piece and I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, I look forward to getting out and having as many people as possible to come see it because I do think it'll have the potential to open up their minds as to what's possible with not only the medium of VR, but also to, like I said, become into more of a relational orientation and a spatial metaphor to kind of understand some of those different ideas and concepts. And, you know, who knows how it'll continue to unwind and get unpacked by each person that sees it. But I can only speak from my own experience of just having this deep sense of awe and wonder of experiencing it and yeah this transcendent meditative poetry that you're able to achieve with the piece so so awesome well thanks again for joining me on the podcast and helping unpack it all thanks ken it's always a pleasure you articulate rascal <laughs> so that was barnaby Steele, one of the co-founders and directors of marshmallow laser feast so i have a different takeaways about this interview is that first of all well, I really, really, really love this piece. Uh, it was my favorite piece of the festival, not only because it gave me this sense of wonder and awe and really taking me into another place, but I also think that it's using the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the medium of VR to look at these deeper aspects of the interrelated nature of reality, but also the process relational view of seeing how these blood flows are flowing through our body and yeah just to be able to step inside of what barnaby said is that there's the hubble's telescope that's looking out into the universe but there isn't really one entity that's looking at the hubble telescope or the hubble microscope looking inward into what's happening inside of our body 
And there's lots of different organizations and scientists that are looking at different bits and pieces, but there's something about the immersive art that's able to tie it all together. And so it's a lot about just starting with the data visualization of what is the actual data and then just presenting it in a way that you're able to just experience it in an embodied fashion. I mean, I can tell you that you could imagine what do you think the blood flow through the human heart looks like? If you were to just take away all the different structures of the heart and just look at the fluid dynamics of the whole thing, you can look at some of the videos that Barnaby said from the Fraunhofer Institute, you know, you can see those videos, but even when you see the 2D, it's like taking these slices. And so they're doing fMRI and when they do that, you're able to piece together all these 2D slices and then start to come up with these different vectors. But when you're actually immersed into a space and you get to see a spatialized version, it's it's pretty hypnotic and pretty amazing that there's that this is just not more well known the structures and forms of what blood flow looks like as you walk through the human body yeah i really love a lot of the different pieces marshmallow Zerfeast has done over the years through the eyes of the animal sweet dreams you have tree hugger then we live in an ocean and air each of these are looking at things that are invisible and making them visible and then as you make those things that are invisible visible you start to see the permeability of how the boundaries of what is yourself and what is the outside world and for me the philosophical concept is muriology where you're both a whole and a part and the boundary conditions between the whole and a part ends up being a lot more fluid sometimes it's a whole entity within itself but sometimes it's a part of a larger whole so that these fractally nested holes and parts that go all the way down in terms of these organisms within organisms within organisms. So I think the medium of VR is actually able to just give you an embodied experience of what that's like. I mean, I could speak about it philosophically, but to actually step into it and experience it is a whole other experience. So if you get a chance to see Evolver, definitely go check it out. It's going to continue to evolve and hopefully do other tracking so you don't have the dropping out of the hands and stuff like that where it gets a little bit frustrating for having to hold up your hands up at your head level so that it's not blipping in and out and yeah, just have a little bit more consistency there and also assuredness of where other people are in the space as well. But for all the different constraints that they had, really amazing that they're able to do that. I guess one other thought about this piece is that they were starting to run into some of the limitations of Wi-Fi 6. We didn't get into it a little bit. I had a little bit of discussions with some of the other co-creators in terms of like just being in New York City and doing a project like this and the different interference that you have. And potentially this could be a use case where you start to go into cloud rendered content that's being transmitted through 5G and you're able to have a little bit higher scalability. Imagine a hundred foot long space that you're able to walk through and have a human rather be six feet tall, be a hundred foot tall and, and be able to actually you know, walk through and see with a bunch of other people as well without many fears that you're going to be running into them too much. And so maybe that's something where the 5G is going to be able to come in and start to be use case that starts to show the power and potential of having these shared social experiences that are delivering to you a high bandwidth, low latency types of experiences where you're able to walk around a space, but also start to interact a little bit. I mean, I mentioned the Infinite and Felix and Paul, which by the way, they're still in Seattle. They've been extended into September. So if you're in the Seattle Tacoma area, definitely go check out the Infinite by Felix and Paul and my previous conversation. But in that piece, they don't have any way in which that you're actually interacting with the world around you. In this piece, they have a little bit more interactivity where you can you know, start to play with a little bit of the fluid dynamics and the fluid dynamics are reacting to different ways in which you're playing with it, which is also really quite compelling as well. So anyway, definitely go check out Evolver if you get a chance as it starts to get out into the world and just to support their project and just to see it for yourself. So 
that's all I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a list of supported podcast, and I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring in this coverage. So you could become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash voices of VR. Thanks for listening.